Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. We're starting a new series this weekend titled Whole. Not H-O-L-E, W-H-O-L-E. And it's a series on Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're basically going to spend the next month and a half talking about a dozen verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you know Deuteronomy 6 at all, you know that the Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6. Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Okay, we're going to go through all of that. Uh, And so I'm going to break down the Shema. I'm not going to explain it too much today because I've got a whole message about that one verse. But before we get into this concept, this idea of loving the Lord your God with your whole self, we've got to talk about the number one thing that gets in the way of that. And as you hear this message, please do not think that I think there's a problem in our church and so I need to preach against it. No, no, no. This serves, this message really is meant to serve as a reminder for what we've been called to and the why behind it, all right? So what we're talking about this weekend is selfishness, and the title of the message is Lovers of Self. Lovers of Self, because the number one thing that gets in the way of loving God with my whole self is loving myself. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to a couple spots. Matthew chapter 22, you can open up there. We'll start there. Put a marker in Genesis 13, and if you're feeling really spunky this morning, if you had your caffeine you can turn to a third spot. Now, that's going to challenge some of you because you what do I do? I don't have a marker. You'll figure it out, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, put a marker there. Matthew chapter 22, Genesis 13, and 2 Timothy 3. I want you to see all of these passages in your own Bible if you brought it with you. If you don't bring your Bible, don't feel guilty, but I'd love it if you'd bring your Bible. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. Just let us know. If you've got a device, read it in whatever fashion that you brought. I want you to see these passages, all right? So let's just jump right into it. Here's point number one. The call is clear. The call is clear. Have you ever tried to assemble something and you got into the instruction manual and it was so complicated you wanted to quit assembling what you're putting together? Anybody ever had that feeling before? Okay, the rest of you are liars, all right? There are a couple of you that are geniuses in the world of assembly, but there aren't many of you, okay? I'm definitely not one of you. I remember years ago, it was Christmas Eve, and I was putting together our daughter daughter Riley's bicycle, and I had put together a smaller bicycle years before, and I'm not going to lie, I might have been a little too overconfident in my assembly skills. So I waited until Christmas Eve to build this bike, and I opened up the instruction manual, And in moments, it dawned on me, I am in serious trouble because this bicycle has real brakes and I don't know how to assemble this brake system. Four and a half hours later, I started at 1130 at night, four and a half hours later, this bike still don't have brakes. And I started having thoughts like, okay, it's Christmas morning now and this is supposed to be a gift from us. If I can't finish this thing, I think I'm just going to put it under the tree and say it's from Santa and blame him for it not being assembled. (laughs) Daddy, mommy, what happened to my bike Santa gave me? I don't know. The elves must have, they must have started a strike up there. I don't know. 
Well, the problem was I opened up the manual and I couldn't understand what I was reading. It didn't make sense to me. And I got so frustrated with what I was trying to build that I wanted to quit. And had it not been for how much I cared about the recipient of the gift, I'd have quit. In the same way, many people look at the instruction manual for growing God's kingdom and say, it's just too complex. I don't understand it all. It just overwhelms me. It intimidates me. It's complicated. I can't figure it out. Jesus addresses this problem. He addresses this mindset. Matthew chapter 22, someone tries to trap him with a question, but Jesus uses it as an incredible opportunity to speak to you and to me when we feel like this is just so complicated. Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 says one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, we're going to do a whole verse on this. Jesus boils it down to that one thing. He says this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law... And all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Some translations say, all of the law hangs on these two commands. In other words, Jesus boils all of this book down to two things. Love God with your whole self and love others as though it was you. He makes it really simple. He uncomplicates what for many can seem really complicated. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says this, Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. What was our old life? The selfish, flesh-filled life. That was our old life. We've died to that life. Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Okay, hit the pause button there for a second. When was the last time that someone asked you, why did Jesus die for you? And on your list of reasons why Christ died for you was what we just read. Well, Jesus died for me so that I would no longer live for myself. We we very rarely answer that way. When someone says, why did Jesus die for you? We say, what? Because he loved me. He wanted to show his love for me. Jesus loves me. That's why he died for me. Yes, that's true. But there are other reasons as well, and one of them is Christ died for you so that you would no longer live for yourself. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. One of the biggest fights you will ever fight in the Christian life is the battle over who is first. This is going to be one of the biggest struggles, and here's why. Because it is impossible to be Christ-centered and self-centered at the same time. It's impossible. And the devil knows it. Why do you think the devil plays to your flesh all the time? Because the devil knows it's impossible to be Christ-centered and self-centered at the same time. So his goal is to get you self-centered where you feel like you're the center of the universe. Where he gets you to think, well, how does everything affect me? Not how does it affect others, how does it affect me? Self-centered. 
Why would the enemy care so much? Well, one of the reasons is the devil knows that a self-centered person cannot build the kingdom of God because they're too busy building their own castle. So he plays to the flesh. Jesus makes it simple. He, He helps us understand that the whole book could be summed up in love God with your whole self and love others as yourself. The devil is trying to get you to do one thing, to love yourself. It's all about you. He did it with Eve. He's done it with every human since. It's all about you. It's all about you. Because a self-centered person cannot be Christ-centered. Jesus makes the call abundantly clear. We are called to live our lives for God and for others. Now, as we get to point two and point number three, these points deal with the response to the call. And there's only two ways to respond to the call. There's a right response and a wrong response. And here's point number two. The, wrong, uh, the reason for the wrong response is obvious. The reason for the wrong response is obvious. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now think about this for a second. Because I know this isn't exactly what we love to talk about in church, self-denial. Jesus says, if anybody wants to be a follower of mine, here's where you start. Deny yourself. Lay your life down for God and for others. Deny yourself. Okay. Have you ever really paid attention to how hard it is to deny yourself sometimes? Don't get all self-righteous or religious on me, okay? It's hard to deny yourself. And if you're sitting there going, no, self-denial is easy for me. Okay, well, let's just do a quick test. The last time you went on a diet, did you cheat? If you cheated during your diet, you're letting yourself know self-denial, denying yourself is a little bit difficult for you. I'm, I'm in that category. If I'm on a diet, if I'm fasting, if I'm going without some food, my wife makes some brownies in the house, and Safeway has a, a sale for Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream for $3.88, which they do right now, by the way, shameless plug. <laughs> I just find it to be good stewardship to immediately participate. And when I'm dieting, I just hit, a, a, just call a timeout real quick. I'll get back in 10 minutes. Why? Here's why. Because denial is difficult when you're convinced you deserve whatever you desire. And the devil loves to come and say, you deserve that. You should have that. Well, I haven't prayed about it. You deserve it. I haven't asked God what he thinks. Come on, you you work hard. You deserve that. Listen, for some of us, it's really hard to tell ourselves no. But let me just remind you why it's important to say no every once in a while to yourself. Are you always right? If you're wrong from time to time, then you qualify as the perfect candidate to tell yourself no from time to time. It is never good to give yourself whatever you want whenever you want it. That's why fasting is essential, an essential part of the Christian life. Because it teaches us 
that the world, our world doesn't come to an end when we say no to ourselves a little bit. <gasps> I went without TV for 30 days and I survived. I went without brownies and ice cream for 40 days and I lived. My world didn't crumble. Now I had three times as many brownies and ice cream after the 40-day fast, but that's another message. How do you do in saying no to yourself? If all you do is say yes to yourself, you're saying no not just to others, but at times to God. When we first started the church, I, I felt the Lord almost for the first two years calling me to a different fast almost constantly. I mean, literally, probably, I mean, babe, I don't remember the exact, but I mean, probably at least 80, maybe even 90% of those first 21, 22 months I spent fasting. I did several 40-day uh, liquid-only fasts and several Daniel fasts and, and fasted TV, fasted all this stuff, and my wife started to get really frustrated because she would spend all this time making these great family meals, and I was sitting at the end of the table eating my meal, sucking it through a straw, and she got tired of it, and, and I started to get frustrated. Lord, I, I feel like this whole first two years, I've just been fasting constantly, and it's, it's wearing me down a little bit. I'm tired. I would like to be able to enjoy some things every once in a while. I just feel like I'm having to say no to a ton of stuff. And in my mind, what I didn't understand was, in my mind, I was fasting for breakthrough. I thought God had me fasting all those times for breakthrough in the city. And it wasn't until later that I felt the Lord clear it up. And it wasn't quite to the end of the fast, but I remember the Lord saying, Preston, because I was saying, Lord, how long is this going to last? Am I going to have to fast for the next 30 years? I mean, I'm worn out. I mean, ice cream is communion in heaven, right? I mean, I can't say no forever. And I remember the Lord just saying, Preston, you're missing the point. I'm not having you fast for a breakthrough. I'm having you fast to break you. Son, the mission of this church is not for you to get what you want. The mission of this church is to give me what I want. And fasting, son, helps remind you your world doesn't collapse when you go without some things. In fact, what you come to learn is you make more room for me and greater things. Don't turn denying yourself into a demonic activity. The opposite is true. Giving yourself everything you want whenever you want it, that's demonic. How do you do in denying yourself? Maybe you do well in a bunch of areas, but there's one area where you struggle to deny yourself. Jesus makes it really clear. We're called to live our lives for God and for others. And that's going to entail denying ourselves. But anyone who responds incorrectly to the call, the reason is obvious, because it's hard to deny. But it isn't until we understand when it seems like we're losing what we're actually gaining and winning when we deny ourselves. That leads us to the third point. The right response is essential. The right response is essential. Now, you can see that's an incomplete sentence because I'm going to give you two ways to finish that sentence. The right response is essential to being seen. The right response to the call to live our lives for God and others 
is essential to being seen. Whoa, 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 Preston. Hold on a second, because it seems like you're, you're stepping into heretical waters. Jesus addressed this whole being seen notion when he said in Matthew 6, now when you pray, don't pray like the Pharisees who go out to the street corner and pray in front of everybody in order to be noticed. When you pray, go into your quiet secret place and the God who sees you will reward you accordingly. Okay, I get that. Jesus wasn't saying don't go unnoticed. Jesus was saying don't do what you do to be noticed. There's a difference. Because in order to reach in these last days, all of the people God desires to reach, we're going to have to be noticed as the body of Christ. We're going to have to be. We're called to be seen. The church was called to be seen. I can show it to you in scripture. This isn't some idea I came up with. This was God's design for us as his sons and daughters. Matthew chapter 5, the chapter right before what I just referred to in Matthew 6. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The right response to the call to love God with my whole self and love others like myself, it's essential to respond correctly if I'm going to be able to give God the glory he desires to get through me. I'm going to have to be seen. And if you don't like this idea, you might want to go grab your kids, rip them out of children's ministry, because right now we're probably teaching them a song that you might have learned when you were growing up if you grew up in church. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Come on. We, we're taught at a young age, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not called to hide in the corner, especially in these days. We got to come out of the corner and be noticed, not to do what we do to be noticed, but we've got to be more comfortable being noticed. Jesus says, let your light shine so that they can see your good works and thus give God the glory he is due. The right response is essential to being seen. Now flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this, why it's so brilliant that Jesus would say, if you want to follow me, where you have to start is denying yourself. It's brilliant. And, and while you're turning over to, to 2 Timothy 3, I'll give you some, some perspective. When I first came out here, I left Dallas and, and came out here and we started this church. Uh, a lot of my friends and people I trust were saying kind of the same thing. Uh, Preston, aren't you a little bit concerned about leaving the Bible Belt and going out to Arizona? I mean, we know it's not fully the West Coast, but Preston, don't you know what Arizona is? It's just a bunch of Californians, and you know what Californians are like. Okay, don't tell Texas I said this, but they're extremely judgmental of outsiders. Okay. Preston, aren't you nervous about leaving the Bible Belt? I mean, when, if you go west, people just don't feel about church out there the way they do here. It's just a normal everyday part of the weekend for most people in the Bible Belt. But you leave that. I mean, aren't you concerned with how hard it's going to be? And here's my answer every time. No. Think about this for a minute. If God called you to set up a lemonade stand, if that was your calling in life, you really have two options. You can set up a lemonade stand on Lemonade Row, 
where they have a lemonade stand for raspberry lemonade, a lemonade stand for blue raspberry lemonade, a lemonade stand for cherry lemonade, a lemonade stand for strawberry lemonade. And there's nothing wrong with setting up a lemonade stand on lemonade row. God uses all kinds of lemonade stands. But option number two is if you're called to set up a lemonade stand, what better place than to go out into the desert where people are begging God for water and most of them never even had lemonade before? It's brilliant. I got over being frustrated before I got out here because the plan was brilliant. This is what he called me to do. This is what he's called you to do. Now, that perspective, you'll understand even more when you read what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Remember, Paul knows. Timothy knows. Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, you have to deny yourself. Let's see just how brilliant it is. Verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now stop there for a minute. I don't know where you are in this discussion, whether you believe we're living in the last days or not. I personally believe we are. I don't, I'm not trying to be sensational. I'm not saying Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Clearly no man knows the day or the hour. But at the very least, we're closer today than we were yesterday. Jesus is coming again soon. When you see all of this that's happening, happening right now, I mean, we're living in the days of Noah all over again. The spirit of Antichrist is pervasive all over the earth. Every year I get older, I see, even in our nation that was founded as one nation under God, it's becoming more and more obvious we're stepping out from underneath that covering as a nation. Anti-God. Natural disasters happening everywhere. Am I trying to scare you? No. Not at all. You see far more scary stuff in the news than what I'm saying right now. But Paul is saying, in the last days, things are going to be really difficult. But watch what he says next. Verse 2. For people in the last days will love only themselves. Some translations say, be lovers of self. They will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but will reject the power that could make them godly. Timothy, stay away from people like that. Okay, what kind of people was Paul saying Timothy should stay away from? It's a long list, but where does his list start? Stay away in the last days from people who love themselves. Okay, I don't know if you've recognized this about the state of affairs on the earth right now, but we got a ton of people who love themselves more than anything else. That is the majority on this planet. They love themselves more than anyone else, more than anything else. Lovers of self. Paul says in the last days, stay away from people like that. They're going to be everywhere. Okay, think about how brilliant it is to send an army of sons and daughters who've been called to lay down their lives, to deny themselves, to send them out into a people who are obsessed with themselves. It's brilliant. 
it's like setting up a lemonade stand in the middle of the desert where there's no water. When you lay your life down for the people around you, they're going to take notice because the natural state right now, say, you got to look out for yourself. You got to love you some you. When you deny yourself, you stand out. And when you stand out, God gets glory. Here's the second way to finish the sentence. The right response is essential to seeing people saved. The right response is essential to seeing people saved. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that I don't just do what's best for others just to do it. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. I hear a lot about how hard evangelism is. Preston, evangelism is just so hard. I just don't know enough about the Bible. I don't feel like I know enough about God. I'm just not good at evangelism. Okay. A lot of people feel that way because they've convinced themselves they have to be theologians to lead someone to Jesus. That's so wrong. You know what you have to be? A lover of Jesus. Someone who loves Jesus and loves others. Now think about this for a minute. If, if you struggle to lead people to Jesus because you're intimidated by how much you think you need to know in order to lead someone to Christ, think about this. What is everyone's favorite subject to talk about? Themselves. Unless you're a grandparent, which your favorite subject is your grandkids. Your children are almost dead to you. They're just, you know... <laughs> the birthers of your grandchildren, but everybody else, our favorite subject is usually ourselves. Okay, now I'm not saying this is wrong because there are times when the Holy Spirit, when the time is of the essence and we just cut to the chase. But for me personally, I have been more successful starting an evangelistic conversation with caring about them than I have found to be successful in going right for the jugular and saying, do you know Jesus? If you don't, you better know him. You gotta meet him right now. That's never worked for me. You know what has worked? Hey, how you doing? What's your name? Sarah. Hey, Sarah, good to meet you. You live around here? Yeah, we live about 15 minutes from here. How long have you lived here? Uh, about six months. Just went through a divorce and the only job I could find was out here. Oh my goodness. Do you have children? I've got three children. I've got full custody. A job that pays me $27,000 a year. I fall asleep every night of my life, afraid that I'm not going to be able to take care of my kids. Sarah, are you kidding me? Do you have any friends in the area? No, we don't know anyone. Do you go to at least a church around here where you have a, a community of... No, I don't believe in God. That's okay. Sarah, how can I help? Do you have $1,000? I just might. Well, why would you give me $1,000? Because, Sarah, a long time ago, someone did something for me that I still haven't gotten over. They gave me a gift I still can't wrap my mind around. And it involved them doing what was best for me instead of what was best for them. And I still can't get over it. 
Well, what did they do? They died for me. It was Jesus, and you may not believe in God. And Sarah, we don't even need to talk about it anymore if you don't want to. If you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. We can talk about it down the road. I'll tell you right where my church is. I'll tell you right where you can find me. But Sarah, I, I would like to bless you and your children with $1,000. But I don't even know you. I know. But why are you doing this? I told you. Because a long time ago, someone did something far more extravagant than this for me. And I still fall asleep every night of my life thinking about what was done for me and how good it makes me feel. And because it makes me feel so good, I want others to feel this way. And so my family and I will gladly lay our lives down as it relates to this $1,000 for you. See, we don't even need to talk about Jesus yet. You know why? Because we're being Jesus to her the entire conversation. Paul said, I don't do what's best for me. I do what's best for everybody else so that many people will be saved. Think about this. You already do this. Don't look at me and go, well, that's a great story. No, no, no. Think about you. We just had the shower trailer delivered last night before the service. God pulls up with a trailer with six showers. They're going to make it to streets that many people don't even drive past. And people who have no home, people who have very little money, people who can't take care of themselves, who the world would say stink to high heaven, are going to see your shower trailer pull up and go, why did you do this? I don't understand. You don't know me. Why are you doing this for me? Why am I getting a free haircut? Why am I getting free brand new clothes? Why am I getting a cold shower in the middle of the summer? Why am I getting a meal that I order my way? Why did you do this? The answer is simple. Because a long time ago, someone did something extravagant for us. And we just want you to know how it feels for someone to do something extravagant that you feel you don't deserve. Because Jesus did that for us, we'd like to do this for you. Listen to me closely. We're about to celebrate our fifth anniversary next weekend as a church. With all of my heart, I believe what we're going to see God do over the next five years makes the first five years look silly. I'm not saying what's happened this first five years is silly. I believe we're going to see God do some miraculous things. And years from now, I'll be asked the question, how did you see God do so much in just five years? Here's going to be our answer to them. The Spirit of God and the selflessness of the people. We're going to see God move in unprecedented ways. And our selflessness is going to play a crucial role in seeing hell plundered and heaven populated. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.